Hello and welcome to the uh, Managing Madrid podcast, Gabe Lezra, and it is a very nice day here in Washington, D.C., although it is incredibly cold on the eastern seaboard of the United States. Uh, luckily, though, it's not so cold out in, uh, in Spain, uh, where Lucas Navarrete is joining us. As usual, Lucas, how are you? Right, right. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty warm here. The spring has arrived finally in Spain. Everything's well. That's wonderful. Well, it's 18 degrees uh, Fahrenheit here. In oh, DC. nice. That's really special. And Josh Zeitlin in New York. Josh, I'm actually coming up to New York. Uh, oh, fantastic. So. Hey, Gabe. Hi. <laughs> we should definitely no, have, a beer. have a celebratory beer. Uh, um, so, guys, uh, we have some breaking news uh, that we shared today on the site. Luka Modric, who we've been waiting for months now, has actually had his first full training session with the group. Lucas, uh, does this mean that uh, that Modric will be back possibly for the next game? No, doubt it. Uh, he probably needs to improve his condition and, you know, just to avoid any, any setbacks or anything, but he should definitely be ready for the away, uh, sorry, the home game against Schalke if needed, which I don't think we need him we don't. We need him right now, but just an encouraging sign for him to play at full condition in, in the Camp Nou a month from now. And that's really the the match we've all got circled. Although we do have um, Villarreal coming up, which will be a right. tough game, though it is in in Madrid. Yeah, ma- the first in in the first in March, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he should be ready for that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and so he he completed his full training session. Obviously, needs to come back uh, to get full strength. Josh, you um, are a little bit more of the medical guy on the show. Tell us a little bit about you know the general timeline here now that he's back up and and, and practicing. Well, I'm not a doctor, so I don't I don't know. I think that these kind of injuries tend to be um, hard to predict. I mean, the question will be once he plays his first you know real. Real match, I think we'll get a much better sense of uh, of how long it will take him to get back up to full strength. I mean, he was originally not thought to be out for that long, and we just kept pushing the timeline. We just kept pushing the timeline back. It's true. So uh, it's it's really hard to say. I mean, professional sports puts a lot of <laughs> strain on your body, and in ways that you might not always expect, and it changes the biomechanics of how you move. Which can be a big problem. So, you know, an, an injury in one area can end up giving you a lot of uh, muscle problems in another area. So I, I think it's good that they're being conservative with him. You know, Modric is not <coughs> getting any younger. And um, another big setback here could really derail his uh, his career. Yeah, so. it would be – it could be really – it could really derail Madrid's season also. I mean, look, we're looking at the next few games are, you know, it's Elche. And then we have Villarreal at home and Atletic uh, in, in Bilbao. Those aren't easy games by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, you would imagine that that Madrid should be able to get through that, not necessarily having him, and try to take all the points from those matches. And then it's Schalke, and then we have Levante, and then it's the Camp Nou. So, I think uh, we should try to, to get him back for the away game against Bilbao. I think that's the game that could be a... Have a scheme for us away in San Mamés. Of course, Bilbao have been terrible this season, but still, San Mamés is always a, a tough place to to play in. And Villarreal, of course, are the are the tougher team to beat out of those you mentioned. But at the Bernabeu, we should we should be fine without Modric. It, it'll be San Mamés again. We sh- we should try to get him back. Yeah, and that's that's the date that I was kind of highlighting on my calendar, at least to see him, and maybe even he gets 10 minutes against Villarreal 
or something yeah, at the yeah. end uh, just to see where he's, where he's at, you know. Uh, but look, it's great news that he's back finally. We've been hoping for this for uh, – for, we were hoping that he would come back a little bit earlier. But, you know, the truth of the matter is that uh, it's better that he comes back now than he doesn't come back. And, and the idea now is to just get him back up to full playing strength, obviously. So, guys, uh, since we last talked, Madrid has played two games and won them both 2 nothing. Uh Let's talk a little bit about the. I mean, they're they, in my view they were kind of weirdly similar games, but we'll get to that. Um, Madrid two, Deportivo nothing, and Schalke in zero, Real Madrid two. I uh, let's talk a little bit about Deportivo. I think that the the thing to talk about from this game was um, Isco's just brilliant goal. I mean, that was. Uh, one of the best I've seen. I mean, just, it's, it's not even the best I've seen from him, but it, not even this season, but it's just this kind of, you know, homegrown type of Isco-esque goal. You know, I don't, I don't know how else to say it. He, he gets the ball and he curls it in in the upper corner. It's, it was brilliant. Yeah, I think what makes it even better is that he actually hits it on the bounce and yet still gets this unbelievable control on it. You know, not just the control of the placement, but also the control of the, of the spin of the ball to just take it just past the outstretched fingertips of the keeper. And it really is just a thing of beauty. Uh, and it's interesting because it comes, it comes out to him after a very good opportunity. You know, the ball comes across the box, and uh, uh, Ronaldo has a, a pretty good chance of, of putting it in, uh, you know, at the far post. Doesn't do that. It ends up flying back out to the top of the box, and that's where he still kind of burns his defender. It's just, it's just a really brilliant goal, and definitely... Took some of the pressure off of uh, off of Madrid. It, it's it's uh, it was you know it was a, it, especially important goal to given um, given what Madrid had just previously done in the match before. We talked a little bit about that last time. <laughs> I don't want to go back into it, but I uh, it's particularly good to get get the get the wheels off the ground, so to speak, with this team. And one of the things that I was particularly interested by in the way these two games kind of played out for Madrid was. Uh, the way that it was very professional, it seemed in both games, and while there was moments of concern for in in both of them, uh, I thought Madrid kind of rallied and handled themselves with uh, with with the with the professionalism that we're expecting now that the, that the season is kind of rounding into that important couple months here, right? In March, April, and May are the the most important months in the calendar, uh, you know, unless the Champions League finals in June or whatever. But uh, <laughs> right, I, mean, I will say, you know. I think the difference there is that we sh- we could have expected more against Deportivo at home. I Depor have the worst offensive record in the league. It's true that they are on the up and up. They had won four of the last six games uh, in prior to coming to to play us. But I mean, I really think that, especially in this period at the beginning of the the second half, they really scared us you know Madrid came out of the traps like not with the intensity that they'd shown in the first 45 minutes and could have conceded a couple times I mean there was one particular chance where the ball uh struck the the inside of the post you know that could have gone poorly and it could have gone poorly quickly it could have gone poorly quickly I I felt like uh I mean yes Madrid did hit the hit the post two times in the opening half and could have been three nil up but you know, sort of taking the taking that one goal lead from Isco and then just sort of drifting into the second half with that was not good enough, and we almost paid the price for that. And then you know, just being too open, you know, Depor is this really not a good offensive team, and allowing them to have that much 
control of the game was, was I thought, you know, worrisome sign. You know, I didn't think it was as bad as some people in the media were saying. I mean, a lot of people were saying horrible performance by Madrid, you know, really terrible. But I, I didn't think that was true. But I, I did think it was not not a good game. Well, it's a game against Schalke, which we'll talk about in a little bit, I thought was uh, not not bad. Although, interestingly, you know, you can say most of the same stuff about Schalke that we are saying about Depor. The main difference is that we were at home against Depor, and that's a, that's a big but advantage. Schalke, much better team than They Depor. are a much better team than Depor, but Schalke lost their best attacking option and then their second best attacking option in oh, this so. game. And uh, going down was a big, well, that was really... And we right, and we still and Madrid still allowed them to claw their way into the game, smack against the post, scare us. I mean, look, we got the away goal as a Champions League tie. It's not nearly, it's not exactly the same thing, but I, uh, that game, there are a lot of the same narratives I thought in the game that that you know at the end of the day everyone's going to talk about how really this was a game where Madrid kind of controlled and it wasn't such a big deal, and uh, you know, fine, but. It, it wasn't like Madrid just had control of the game the entire time in both of these matches. Lucas, uh, did you? I mean, did you feel the same way that that Josh did about the the Madrid's match against Depor? I actually enjoy these kinds of this kind of wins, you know. To kind of, I mean, obviously you always try to win by six nil or big leads and build big leads and all that, but. I feel like winning this way, keeping clean sheets and and you know keep it, keep the game easy and and steady and control is is something that we really should expect of this Real Madrid squad because it's never easy to to keep up with these kinds of big big uh, wins like five nil or or the the previous game against Deportivo which ended two eight I believe. Um, so yeah, I'm pleased with both with both wins really, considering from how shaky Real Madrid played against Atletico and you know how um, the Bernabeu reacted to that and and everything and right. I, I think the players really held their own and and you know Real Madrid at the end got what it mattered so and no injuries right <laughs> yeah exactly yeah uh, and I. Uh... I don't know, Josh. I, I I tend to agree about the that first ten to twenty minutes against Depor in the second half were just they were just uh, you know very unpleasant to watch as a Madrid fan. But it was nice to see Madrid manage to keep a clean sheet in in a match that actually is very you know that was really looking like it was going to go the other way. Uh, obviously, giving up uh, balls against the posts. Or, <laughs> that's two now for Madrid in the last two games, ball, smacking balls against the, having the other team smack balls against the posts when Madrid's up one nothing. That's not a sustainable model. <laughs> right, I mean, success. clearly not. Um, although, like I said, in the, in the Depor game, you know, Ronaldo hit the, hit the crossbar and Bale hit the crossbar. Yes. So, Bale was brilliant, was- in my opinion, in that game. Oh yeah, no, he was very good. Actually, he was very quite good in both games. I thought he didn't. Yeah, play. I didn't like him in Schalke all, the, all that much, but in, against Deportivo, I think he was the best man on the on the pitch, arguably. Uh, I think probably alongside it. Isco, but you know he, his dribbles were spot on all the time and could, could get past his defender all the time, and it was just a brilliant game. He deserved to score and and to put an end to this controversy and all. Yeah, I agree. And he was, I, I think another thing that we're going to talk about later, but that, that Bale, uh, I think that in the last few games, maybe since Atleti, maybe even before, I don't know, but has been has been showing a, you know, amount of defensive contribution that he hadn't been showing at all yeah. um, before. Yeah, and we're playing 4-4-2 now. 
to make it simple, I think we're playing four four two now with Bale. Yeah, I agree. Kind of moving back a little bit more and obviously uh, con- uh, making a, a small contribution in the attack as well, but not as big as he was before. And after the Atletico defeat, defeat I think that it's become a little bit more clear that we're playing four four two now and at least def- obviously defensively. And then Bale, uh, it's not as easy as uh, for Bale to to make a big impact on the offensive end right now because he has to like to recover all the ground that he's he's uh he's run to to track back and also but yeah i think we, to make it simple we're playing 4 for 2 now after the after the the loss against atletico well ancelotti has always said that we were playing 4-3-3 yeah, in attack, 4-4-2 yeah. in defense the problem was we were never actually playing 4-4-2 in defense no but i don't yeah yeah, exactly. So, but I, I think that Bale wasn't responsible for that exactly because I mean I think that that was just an Ancelotti saying. And I remember in the in the way game against Villarreal that uh, you know we kind of struggle against Villarreal counterattacks and all that. And uh, we asked Ancelotti in the press conference about you know how how this happened and why didn't he try to 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 make Cristiano and Bale work defensively a little bit more and he just kind of said that Real Madrid need to take risks in defense just to be so brilliant in attack and that pay, paid off in the end so I think that when Bale isn't tracking back I don't think it's it's his decision, really. It's it's on Ancelotti, I believe, and you know it's showing that when when Ancelotti wants Bale to defend, he's defending. So I think yeah, that, I thought I, he defended very well in Schalke. Actually, yeah. Yeah. no one has ever defense. accused Bale of being bad at listening to what his coaches want him to do. <clears throat> that's not a thing that uh, that's a thing that a lot of players can be it can spit a lot of players. I've never heard it about Bale, and it seems very clear to me, Lucas, that you're right that. That we've been complaining. Well, that some of the complaints here are saying that, that there's something that Bale's doing, but in my mind, that goes into the whole controversy controversy about him. Where I think that Ancelotti was asking certain things of him that he was doing, and now he's been ch- like he's moving them around. I do think we can talk a little bit about whether that makes Bale, you know, qu- you know, brings up some questions about Bale's efficacy on on attacks. I thought he looked great against. Depor, so I wasn't too worried about it. But against Schalke, it did seem like he was a little bit not perfectly working with the other two strikers. Although the same could be said about Benzema. So uh, I think that 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 maybe that was just the the overall kind of feeling of the Madrid attack was a little bit like we're trying to smash the you know a ball through a you know through a wall. It's not exactly easy to do. Right. I mean, Schalke were not playing like how they played last year. Right. I mean, under um, Keller. They came out with a very high line. It was kind of a suicidal, uh, high press, left a ton of space behind, and each member of our attacking trident got two goals in, in the uh, in the away match. But this was not the same kind of team under under Di Matteo. They were trying to defend fairly deep. Um, they were not super effective on the counterattack. I mean, you know, there were there were a few moments of danger, but. Um, <clears throat> You know, that was a strategy that was really predicated on them not conceding that first goal. And when they did, you know, they didn't really have a, have another answer. But they did pack the midfield with a number of players. They were trying to defend in, in reasonably disciplined lines. They were not as effective at it as, as, say, Atleti. But they were, um, you know, they were hard work to break down. So I, was, I wasn't expecting... You know, I don't think anyone goals. goes into a match against a, a Di Matteo side 
with especially a Demont Taylor side against a like when you're a more talented offensive team expecting to have like a really easy game breaking it down. The guy for all the other stuff about him, and I, I really dislike the man personally. <laughs> Do you? I've never. What has he done to you? He's a fascist. Well, he's a fascist. Isn't Is he, he a fascist? You're thinking of Paolo Di Canio. Yeah, I am. It's possible. Well, that's that's. Yeah, yeah. Di, Can- Di Canio is the one who played for Lazio and all that. This is a, this isn't the yeah. same guy. You're mean, you're meaning the one who coached uh, Sunderland a couple of years ago. Yes. yes, that's exactly what. Di Matteo was the coach of Chelsea when they apologize won. Apologize their... to Di Matteo. Come on. <laughs> Ridic- ridiculous uh, Champions no, but that's, League. But in that's total, but I'm I'm not thinking of the wrong guy when it comes to tactics. Like he is no, no, oh, yeah. shutting it down, right? Like I'm, he, I, yeah. you know, he's a, he's a tactics my... fascist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> regardless of my personal views of Paolo Di Canio, who, yes, I do feel very strongly about, but uh, he's not the same person, so I apologize to uh, Di Matteo, who I'm sure is listening to this podcast, an avid listener, an avid listener podcast. to our podcast, but we would encourage him to, to think about maybe for once tra- trying to change up his tactics, because my God, is that boring to watch? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's not a bad, I mean, it won in the Champions League with a team that was manifestly inferior to the other ones in the competition. <laughs> so, I, you know, I can't complain too much about that. No, but, um, <laughs> you know, it, it didn't it didn't work out for them. I felt like, you know, it was a good strategy up until they conceded the goal and then the Ronaldo goal, which, you know, we, we, we can talk about that. It was a great goal, good goal for Ronaldo to break his scoring duck. It's sort of a classic Ronaldo goal. He spots the, the ball. Carvajal plays this absolutely sublime long cross from pretty deep in the midfield on the right side. He he sort of takes a step inside and just slaps this curling ball with the outside of his boot. And Ronaldo just zips past the defender and heads it, you know, sort of chips it over the keeper. It was a really brilliant little move. Uh, and it's interesting because, you know, uh, one thing that we've been missing, you know, in some previous games is, is Carvajal's influence. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the ability that can really break up some of the the play there. Yeah, I actually totally agree with that. Um, I Luke, thought he was man of the match, actually. Against Schalke? Yeah. Lucas, do you, how do you feel about that? No, I like Disco better. Disco is great. Disco, don't get me wrong. I, I love Disco. <laughs> yeah, no, Disco. I mean, we talked about it this last week. I think this is Disco's team now. And to see him working defensively as much as he did against Schalke is just something that I really did not expect him to to do this soon and this early in his career and I I think he was a man of the match at Lisco and of course Carvajal was brilliant as well and that cross was, was perfect decision to to change the you know the the shot the the cross and do it with his with his left foot instead but yeah, and or, uh, as I said before, I think it was a a really positive win for for Real Madrid again to get such an important and really convincing win to me. I mean, of course, it's not as big as last season's one six, but still, it, it was pretty convincing to me. And you know, we pretty much got the ticket to the quarterfinals already. Yeah, I agree. So another story from the from both games, I guess, but uh, from from especially the Schalke, but we'll talk about it now with uh, with with Depor was that. Luca Silva made his debut as we expected against Depor, but shockingly to me, he he got the start against Schalke, and even to me more shockingly, he played all ninety and he didn't look he didn't he looked pretty much acclimated to the speed of the game, you know, barring certain things. He was not bad. Yeah, you know, I was impressed. What did you guys think of Luca Silva? 
Josh? Well, I, I, I don't know if I was impressed, per se. I, I, I remember saying to you during the Depot game, what did you think of him? I didn't really see anything from him, but I guess maybe that's a good thing. He didn't mess up or anything. He looked you know, totally like a normal player in the team, which is impressive given where he's coming from and what his preseason was like. But I, th- I thought the Depor game, he looked a little slow and, and exactly what you would expect for someone coming from a league that's not quite as fast. But I thought that a lot of those concerns were alleviated for me in the Schalke game when it seemed like he was everywhere in defense uh, and put in a pretty strong, controlling midfield performance next to Tony Kroos. I thought I thought it looked good. Personally. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm if I was impressed in the Schalke game. I thought he was okay. I didn't think he offered a whole lot. Um, no, but to, I mean, for him to be okay, just in his second game in a re, under a Real Madrid shirt and you know in his debut as a starter and away uh, Champions League round of sixteen and all. I mean, that's pretty impressive in my opinion. That's what I'm saying, basically. You know, adapting to the to a European football after playing in Brazil, which is another kind of tempo and everything, just to be okay. In his first game, it's something. It's definitely, you know, encouraging for me, in my opinion. Right, yeah. I'm just reserving judgment because I feel like it didn't give me a sense of whether he's really going to be a, a high-level contributor to Real Madrid, right? And not not a squad player who can pull in a shift in center midfield, but somebody who can actually really oh, I see what you're saying. do something special and and offer something positive going forward or or in the control of the game. Right. So it's really hard for me to say from his, from his performance. I, I certainly don't think it was a bad performance, but it didn't. There weren't moments. You know, n- normally when you have a player who's adjusting, you still see a, a couple moments of what they might offer, and I didn't really get that from him. I understand that he's probably trying to do his best to to just be selfless and offer himself to the team and, and try to ingratiate himself with the coach and the teammates, which is all good professional behavior and, and I'm, I'm encouraged but I still don't know if I necessarily believe that he's a better player than Ilaramendi right now I honestly believe this is the kind of player he is just you know like a, I don't know how to say like a, like a joker you know like a guy you can give the ball to and he's not gonna lose it but he's not gonna make anything happen of course because, I mean he's not Iskong he's not cross but you know he's the kind of compo- composed player who can contribute defensively and just be okay in offense and, and kind of give the ball to Isco or Cross and and make something happen. But he's not going to turn yeah. the ball over a, lot, a whole lot. And that, I mean that's probably what Real Madrid need when whenever Modric is not available. You know there aren't that's many Modric there aren't many Modric available out there. So whenever you know <laughs> you're not you're not able to have Modric and it's valuable to have this kind of player out there. Well, I'm sure we'll start speaking about that when the summer transfer window starts to right. limp towards us. But right. uh, yeah. you know, there are some other uh, really promising Croatian players of the same mold. I think at Inter, there are a couple of them. Anyway, so perhaps we can replace like with like with Modric at some point. But <clears throat> I mean, what is it about Croatia producing that kind of player, by the way? I mean, Rakitic at Barcelona, who we all, I think, are big fans of and I was upset. Yeah, if they don't like him, they should just give him to us. Like, that's fine. I'll take him. Well, he likes him now, I think, but for the first half of the season. Uh, But, yeah, that's – yeah, you guys are making some good points. I'm like – I got to tell you, it wasn't so much about uh, the – you know, what I was expecting to see out of him is what I was not expecting. Like, I I, got to tell you, like, the, the basic idea was that the bar was so low for him for me going into this match that, okay, you're not losing the ball. Are you, you know, looking like you can 
physically take on some of these European players? Are you, you know, sacrificing in defense and 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 really not making any major mistakes? Yeah, so that was yeah. what he, he made did. one really bad challenge, which I think he was probably quite lucky not to get a yellow card for. But other than that, I thought he did quite well. Well, but basically, he was very late. And he left his right. leg in and just took the player out, and there's completely no attempt to play the ball. But you know, I, I think <laughs> that was just being a little bit off the pace, but nothing too serious. So yeah. I expect we'll see him a little bit more. I mean, and we'll we'll get a better sense of as he gets more comfortable, we'll get a little bit of better sense of what he's about. Yeah, exactly. And but uh, it's certainly encouraging. I mean, he he definitely. Um, we definitely need somebody to step up in the absence of Modric. And, and obviously, Ancelotti does not trust Ilaramendi, which I think is sad, but he has his reasons. And, Lucas, how much do you think that uh, uh, Silva being an Ancelotti signing will affect his playing time vis-a-vis Iyara? I think Ilaramendi I think was pretty much an Ancelotti signing as well. I read reports saying that he was... Yeah, that you know he really liked... The kind of midfielder Yarramendi is or was anyway, and obviously, I mean, it seems that he's he's lost uh, some trust on on Yarramendi, obviously, because I mean, even though he's saying all the time that he, he trusts Yarramendi and will use him when we need it and all that, if you give Silva his first start for Real Madrid in a Champions League game, is that that means that you really don't trust Yarramendi that much? But anyway. I think he'd just be that the first reserve for the for the midfield. Just you know, whenever Cross is injured, Modric is injured, or, or Isco is injured, Silva will probably come in. I mean, yeah. I, I don't see him getting starting minutes anytime soon. Well, one one uh, promising feature is of winning this game two nothing with two away goals is that it probably means that Martin Odegaard is going to get to play at least a few minutes in the return leg. Because the you know the chances are I think I looked at the stats and and according to his you know from the pool of historical results in European competition we would be ninety seven percent to go through. Well, it's also Schalke coming to Madrid, so yeah, and, and at home, which probably adds some yeah. some more spice to that. But uh, uh, Udegar was in- included on the on the list, and if he plays in this game, uh, the return leg, he would be the youngest player ever to play in the Champions League, I believe. So that would well, be kind of cool. There's and, another streak that I, Madrid has going right now that with the win in, in Schalke. Ah, uh, yes. It's yes. 10 games in a row winning for Madrid in the Champions League. I believe League. equaled the, the number of consecutive wins. It's not a broke, didn't break the record. Right, but, which is why so. it would be kind of nice to win against Schalke in Madrid. Uh <laughs> Mm-hmm. Which doesn't seem like a ridiculous proposition, given that it's Schalke and they're coming to Madrid. But uh, if we give Mr. Odegaard uh, a start, then maybe... Well, I wasn't saying more. necessarily he would start. No, I think he'd probably come in five, five minutes at the end of the game. <laughs> Another injury who came back in the Schalke game, uh, Pepe, who looked really strong. Yeah, yeah. dominant, dominant performance, yeah. Baran looked great next to, next to Pepe. Yeah, I, mean, no. he, yeah, he, I agree. So that was very, that was very promising. And Marcelo, I mean, woof! Can we talk about his goal? Oh man, he's back. I, mean, I think Marcelo always tries this move. Like I, I can't even count how many times I've seen him pick up the ball on the left hand side, cut in parallel to the goal, and trying to hammer one into the far corner. 
and it always spoons way over the bar. And then this time, it just comes off perfectly, and it it just slams into the upper ninety. Yeah, it was it was a it was fantastic. It was great also to see Cristiano creating that for him. I thought of all of our attacking three, but really of our attacking two, Cristiano was the was the clear uh, was clearly the one that was the most dangerous and clearly the one making the you know actually all the all the chances Cristiano scores and and I think that Ancelotti who said he's back after the game I mean I thought he looked Cristiano looked pretty good against Depor and I think he looked particularly good today and if that's really where we are then then man that's great if that's really true because I uh, think he just needed a goal you know like I think he had been playing at least okay like you say against Depor he he uh, contributed to the to the goal, um, but you know, really, this time he 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 put in a really good move. He was just tearing apart the two men on that side who on the, who were marking him. I mean, it was quite quite amusing to see. You know, he would just turn them inside out and then lay on these these nice crosses. Um, and in this case, he 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 laid it on for from. Marcelo or right? Marcelo's goal, yeah. Yeah, uh, I I was very impressed. I mean, look, I, it's hard to Cristiano does it, you know impresses me all the time, right? So it's uh, it's good, but it's good to see him score because uh, as we know well with uh, with strikers and and players that really do put a lot of value in their own form and how how they do, um, you know, I think Cristiano is one of the people that I that I've seen in my life who really does seem to go on these runs, and then when he's off of them, he's not having, he's not feeling happy, he's not having a good time, and it really shows. And so it's a big deal that he that he's back and has scored because, uh, you know, I remember, I mean, I remember players like Ronaldo had, you know, the original Ronaldo Nazario had the same basic problem that they would go on these runs, and then if there was like a couple, you know. Obviously, with Ronaldo, the Ronaldo one, it was a little bit longer that he would go without scoring occasionally. But like, if there were these runs that everyone would suddenly be like, "What's going on? Is he fat? All these things," and then he would score and go on another run. But uh, right, I mean, I think uh, the fact that Messi has been tearing it up uh, ever since the they lost to Real Sociedad uh, has been a problem for that as well. Because I think if he feels the pressure, right? I mean, Messi banged in a couple hat tricks, and you know, suddenly he's <laughs> Breathing down his neck for the Pichichi, you know, after being ten goals behind not so long ago. Yeah, it, that was. Yeah, I think, I think that it is makes him feel feel bad, especially when when everybody's talking about how great Messi is, and and the talk starts to turn. I mean, it turns so quickly in the media to like, oh, maybe Cristiano Ronaldo is is a has been, maybe he uh, maybe he's just too old now and he can't he can't recover. Maybe he's injured, which is. Um, and actually, the, the, unbelievable the, the, some of this stuff right i mean so the 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 one of the sky sport you know british uh la liga uh analysts uh came out and said on their podcast that he thought that real madrid should sell ronaldo because Jesus. because not because he's he's passed it but because his desire for scoring goals and individual achievements um over the good of the team has, you know, become kind of all-consuming, and that it's bad for Real Madrid as a whole. And I, you know, I think that there's there's a kernel of truth there, but I, I, I still think that I mean the combination of the 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 sort of commercial value that he holds and the uh, and what he does on the, on the pitch is just not replaceable. <laughs> This has been a narrative throughout Ronaldo's career, and uh, or at least throughout the time he's been a real superstar. And 
Man, I do, do I find it annoying when people say stuff like that. I'm not saying that that's not a, a legitimate, you know, argument to be made. Not about I mean, like about whether when the time to cut bait with a superstar who's very who's getting older is. But I I don't think it's time with for Ronaldo at all. I also think that the, the this narrative is infuriating to me because I think there's a little kernel of uh, you know trying to create media villains vis-a-vis other people, and no one has that same narrative about Messi even though at the beginning of this year it looked like or not the beginning of this year but at the beginning of this you know season it looked like Messi had just kind of checked out of Barcelona uh, because they didn't do exactly what he wanted for them and uh, he just kind of gave up Uh, and his team looked terrible and he wasn't trying very clearly and he wasn't working with Suarez and all that stuff and suddenly now he is but man did it look not at all like that no one said anything like that when it came to Messi then but uh, I just thought that it was you know you saw Ronaldo just tearing it up scoring two plus per game and you know, getting the Ballon d'Or, I thought that was exactly if 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 that's what's going on now it was clear to me that that was going on earlier in the season with Messi so I don't I don't know I, I struggle with that narrative I don't yeah, mean I mean, to I, criticize I you, Josh. Obviously, it's, I, I wasn't indeed putting forth that point of view because I, I don't uh, I don't believe it. But I think, especially <laughs> in the uh, in the context of what has just happened, uh, I don't know how acquainted our listeners are, but uh, with the finances of of, uh, of football, but the Premier League has just signed a new deal. Uh, which is so massive, and this is just the domestic deal. It's it's in the range of every year they will get as much. The Premier League clubs will share as much as all of the teams in the Bundesliga in their entire four-year contract will share. It's it's a staggering amount of money. It's so it dwarfs La Liga's payout. It dwarfs the one from you know the bottom team in the Premier League will get the same amount as the winner of the Champions League. It, it just it completely changes <clears throat> the global financial landscape. And so you're seeing La Liga start to uh, move towards a collective bargaining. Um, it well, probably sort of doesn't affect Madrid and Barca as much oh, it, as it, it does. Because we're, mean, going to, we're moving towards a, a collective uh, negotiation as opposed to in two years. No, but I understand that, I, but I mean, like, if we're talking about the direct summer transfer market, what it does is it floods the market with money from, but it floods the market with money from teams that, you know, are still having to compete with Madrid and Barca. Well, not Barca, I guess, this summer, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but with, with Madrid, time. right, in, in uh, which is a team with just ungodly amounts of money. And so, fine, if you give Liverpool 20 million extra, you know, extra pounds to, to spend, it doesn't. I don't think that they're luring any Madrid players over there, even if they have now got the money to maybe spend seventy million to try to take Isco or something. Right. I mean, I, I don't think it's it, 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 it's a problem in terms of them taking our existing talent. I think it's a long term problem in terms of our ability to generate revenue against the top English clubs, and we will see what will happen. I agree with that. Um, because Lucas, we're going to have... have to move to a more equitable distribution, and that w- in order to raise the the profile of La Liga as a whole. Lucas, when you saw this deal in the Premier League, were you worried? Mm, I don't know, not really. I think that in order to join the Premier League, you probably, I mean, the players will probably need more than than money. And uh, anyway, I've read somewhere that the 
that they will still have some cap uh, cap space and to work with. So I mean, they they cannot start paying players like 25 or 30 million a year. So I I don't really think the the the, the short term is changing for um, you know the, the how how European football works. I mean, not even the the, the teams with, with like PSG or Manchester City have managed to to completely change the scenario here so mm, even though I mean of, of course some more expensive signings will be made like PSG and Manchester City have done but you I mean these two teams have proven that even even with the money there are some right. other some other clubs that do business better than them and, and need ha- need the formula to win to win in football and I mean, of course, PSG can always spend 60 million in buying David Luiz, but that's not the formula to success here. And, right. and I think that's that's gonna happen in the in the in the short term. Long term, of course, you have to think that PSG right. and Manchester City will will likely win a Champions League in t- ten years from now, which wouldn't have happened without this this these investments and all that. And right. it, it will probably happen with the, with the Premier League the same way, but it will take them some time as well because the, the style and the you know the British style of play is not similar to to, the, to what brings success in Europe. Right, I agree with that too. Uh, so let's talk a little bit more about the actual matches and whatnot, and then we're going to take some questions because we do have uh, various ones that I think are important to answer. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about. Uh, the Benzema's performance against Schalke. I, I, I hinted earlier that I thought that he was the least impressive of the three uh, in that match, and I'm going to stick with it. And I think that sometimes when, or at least in these matches, when he's not looking at his best, he was looking, you know, he hasn't been looking at his best for a little bit now, but he looked a little bit better against Depor, I think we can agree. But then he's fallen back again against Schalke, I thought, that uh, when he's not at his best, the entire offense doesn't really doesn't really click the same way you know right. he he he's the motor oil in this engine a little bit in the offense and uh and sure if ronaldo really is the engine he is but you know it's hard for ronaldo to to run smooth smoothly without benzema doing doing what he normally does and so lucas did you i mean do you agree with me do you think that's accurate or you think i'm, I'm no yeah i'm overselling it no 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 i've said it you know from 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 a lot of time, from a long time ago, and I think Benzema is a key part in in Real Madrid's offense. And he's he's the one player that allows either Cristiano Ronaldo or Bale to to you know to to do those diagonal runs and and score from from distance and you know to have a space in the box. And ultimately, and obviously, when he's not as as sharp and and he doesn't play to his best, Real Madrid miss him, but I don't think, I mean, I, I think he's playing one of the best seasons of his careers, and of his career, and I believe that Benzema... And he just had a down game. So yeah, exactly, not, just, just a game against, okay. a bad game against Schalke, and that's probably it, yeah. Okay, well, that's, I, I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with that, I, I, uh, I just was uh, I was I was watching yeah. and I was thinking to myself that this is not, this has not been his best game, and... Yeah, and, no, absolutely, you, no, that, that's absolutely correct, yeah. I could. Th- I thought that part of it also was that you could tell, kind of, in, in Schalke's decisions and how they defended, where whenever Ronaldo had the ball, there were two or three people, and that's not normally the way Madrid gets defended because of how potent the attack is with with these other players. But I thought it was very clear that Schalke said, "Okay, we're not going to." Now that, like, even maybe it's only after the first goal, but definitely in that second half, they were like, "We're there's no way Ronaldo's touching the ball with the, with the, without two or three people on him." But if Benzema is having a slightly better game, Madrid scores off of one of those. Right? 
right? Because Ronaldo just slots it into him or, or someone else gets the ball and everyone's looking at Ronaldo and they right. score. But, uh, you know, and then they have to back off that tactic. But that tactic seemed to me to work pretty well and frustrating Cristiano until the Marcelo goal where yeah. he dribbled past two of them, then passed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was there was a, a moment, um, I can't remember who was before or after the Marcelo goal, but it was uh, in the second half where he did try to do that. Essentially, he, he managed to dribble past a player and he put in, he kind of squared the ball back to... Uh, <clears throat> to Benzema at the top of the box, and it just got cut out by some defenders who happened to get a deflection. So, you know, I, I think he was trying to do that, and maybe on a, a slightly luckier night, it would have trickled through to Benzema. I, I think that I've, I've often criticized Benzema for being streaky and inconsistent. And I, I think that that's been a, a frustration, that when, when Ronaldo isn't playing well, uh, we need Benzema to step up, and in some games he does, and in other games he just is kind of anonymous. His play is so subtle that sometimes it's hard to evaluate it fairly because he doesn't do a lot of things that are so flashy, but he's so critical to the to the functioning of the system that it's sometimes hard. You look at him and you're like, well, was he having a bad game, or were the players around him having a bad game? Right, that's a good point. It's hard to know. I mean, it's almost like you have to talk about him like you talk about certain defensive midfielders. Like, you, you watch this game, you're not seeing the work that this person is putting in, but they are, and it's unbelievably important. When you remove them, the team falls apart. Like, it's funny that that's – but that's the dialogue that we've kind of developed around Benzema. Like, obviously, you see him when he's doing well and, and putting in goals and making assists the way he does, but you also, you know – you 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 know when you don't see him, that doesn't necessarily mean he's having a bad game. It might just mean that other players aren't quite producing what they need to do and aren't quite making the runs that need to be made uh, to uh, to do that. Um, I so, mean, that's one of the reasons why I liked having the option of Benzema or Higuain, uh, at least having a really good striker on the bench that you could bring in. Uh, now, just having an on loan, you know, having Hernandez. It's just not, not good enough for me. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Good enough for the bench. Jose is that guy, I believe. Yeah, yeah but is Jose really the person you want to play centrally? I mean, I guess no. Cristiano could move to the center, I believe. It, it's a tricky, it's a tricky situation. You know, I would like to have somebody that could come off the bench. To I be really a, like a like for like, is what I'm saying. I think what Josh is saying. I'm agreeing. Yeah, yeah, I agree like, with him. Not quite. I feel like having a more. Um, more traditional striker, but who who is still a really good player, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just a better it's option. It's really great to have Ruud van Nistelrooy come in off the bench for this team. And, had, like, had, <laughs> and Benzema, we were rotating them, and that was actually working kind of fine. We decided to get rid of Iguain in order to uh, make Benzema feel better, and now and the consequence of that is that it's kind of hard for us to bring in a replacement striker. Without feel him feeling threatened, I guess it's sort of an odd situation. Yeah, I think I still remember the prototypical, you know, replacement striker. It was my favorite of recent years. It was Adebayor who came in. He had a great cam- little cameo for us. I always liked Adebayor. Yeah. Kind of a weird player. But... It was a weird player and a weird and a weird team that that Mourinho team. But uh, it was a fun team to watch. I thought. Well, I like I like a striker who can be kind of especially as a as a as a plan B option who can be big who can receive the ball hold it up i mean honestly like 
going for Mario Mandzukic would probably have been a good idea from Bayern and taking him off of Atleti. I mean, in retrospect, obviously that's true since he's been great there. Yeah. But uh, I think he could have been had cheaply as as could Mario Gomez, who ended up going to Fiorentina. Yeah, but... Um, this type of player is what I would have liked to have on the bed. The difficult thing here is to convince them of assuming and accepting the the, the bench role here and assuming that they are not going to start the big games unless Benzema is injured and all that and we need to remind that to have in mind that Manchukic is a starter for Croatia and he wants to play with with Croatia and that wouldn't happen if he was a bench player in Real Madrid and all that so the the tricky part here is to find these players good enough to to make an impact in Real Madrid and not uh, but not good enough to compete Benzema to compete with Benzema for the for for the spot because I think Benzema has to be your undisputed star, starter here. Yeah, well, I agree. And you need to feel and and you need to to give him that confidence too. I mean, I mean, well, there, there are two schools of thought. One is that you you go with multiple players who are all good enough to do the job, uh, you know, and let them fight it out and win on merit. And the other option is to is to take young, really young or really old players who are going to be willing to accept a bench role because they think that they might get there in the future or that they, yeah, yeah. they're happy enough to, to play a, a, the occasional game. But then, you know, getting those players who are motivated enough and who, who are... Uh, you know, strong enough. I mean, I think Arbeloa, people, tend, uh, especially in our forums, tend to slag him off, uh, but he's a kind of a perfect uh, backup right back in the sense that he is very experienced. Right. Yeah. He's willing to play it, this bench role. He's good in the dressing room. You know, he doesn't complain. You know, but the, I totally the, agree. The situation. But you look at Bayern, right? It was just sort of the, the, the squad par excellence right now despite the fact they've had a lot of injuries, and you look over there and you say, man, like it's not like they have you know, all these not good enough backups. They have all yeah. these really good players. Some of them are young, some of them are older. Some of them are, you know, they have a good range of ages. And then you look at Madrid, who used to have that, and we sort of pared down from that squad to one that's just not flexible enough and not big enough. We got younger, but we got... We got thinner, but I don't. I don't have a problem with the decision to get younger because it. It. I don't. I'm never going to disagree with the decision to get younger. I. I like it. I like. I still like Madrid's moves this summer, but that's not even where we are. All right. So let's answer some of these questions, Lucas, because there is one that I thought was particularly interesting. Yeah. Uh, that we really should talk about, which is the ta- the question about bail here. So at Anvita Abhai Swarup asks us, uh, Manager, do you think bail tracking back so much takes away his biggest strength, which is that the goals that he scores. I think that's I a good question, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a good question, right? Because, of course, anytime you're bringing a player from the forward line and sticking him back into midfield, you're going to be, especially a player as, as destructive as Bale can be, you're going to be removing him from from getting those, those opportunities on goal. But I will say this, though. Uh, I think one of the things that Bale also does that actually putting him too far up the pitch really can 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 make him struggle with is these unbelievably powerful surging runs uh, across the field from from yeah. deep right and that is unbelievably hard to defend without yeah. fouling right and so maybe moving him back in allows him to add this part of his game back that that I haven't seen as much this this season because of him the fact that he's been playing really only in this forward line 
But, yeah, man, I don't know. I, I think that his defensive stuff has been incredibly good, and I thought he's been very, very impressive playing defense. But I, I also think that there's a little bit of a sacrifice that you're making here. So we'll see if that was the right sacrifice or not. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I, I mean, I definitely agree with you, Gabe. I, I think that there's a, there's something in the notion of pulling him further back uh, offers him more space to run into. And, in fact, you know, when he first actually ended up exploding onto the scene, the great sort of idea of, of was to move him back and even into left-back position where he could run from yeah. deep. Uh, no, but I mean that that's how he first yeah, yeah, yeah. he was he a left back when he came being, up. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Because his, his offensive capabilities were so strong that it seemed like a waste to play him that deep. But um you know, I mean well, if you look at somebody like Dani Alves, you know, so you can play as a, a nominal fullback and still spend a lot of your time with these these Marcello. great <laughs> of, the, of the pitch. So, you know, it, it can it can certainly be done. I think that um you know, the issue has not necessarily been that Bale hasn't had the opportunities because he's been playing deeper and offering more in defense. I think it's actually been that the narrative of him being selfish has started to affect the way that he's played. And he's I been sort of self-consciously offering the ball up when he should be taking it himself. I agree. Yeah, so totally it is, this has totally backfired. And now he's, he's being overly generous. Yeah. And I think that that's what we're really seeing is that he's trying to give the ball to other players. I mean, there were a couple moments in this game I remember where he passed the ball, Shoot. tried to pass it through to Ronaldo when he should have taken it forward and and moved onto his left foot and shot. Yeah, it was really. And there was a, a in particular one where he had taken on two players already, beaten them, running in full sprint. Then he sees Ronaldo who's waving to him, and then he's he kind of has this moment where, in my mind, he says. Oh shoot! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. he slows down and passes, and Ronaldo is nowhere, nowhere near where the ball went because Bale's in his own head thinking about where the where whether he should pass or really should shoot. I think Bale, you know, when he gets out of his own head, there's no way he makes that pass. He takes no. it on, takes a, takes a shot, and uh, I also think I'm not saying he's going to score that, but man, it's going to be better than giving the ball way behind Cristiano and, and turning it into a turnover. So. Right. I agree, Absolutely. though, that he's in his own head uh, in, in in a way that, that I think – and I don't even think that this is something that the team did. I don't think that Ancelotti did it. I think that the this media. was created by the fans yeah. and the media. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by the media is, and then the fans, yeah. I mean the media started the whole campaign and the Bernabeu bought it and bought it. So, uh, yeah, and it started to whistle him after, you know, he didn't pass a couple – he didn't give a couple of seats and all that and – Obviously, yeah, the, the media created it, and then it got to, to be said, yeah. It's it's really, I mean, it's it's painful for me to see that because when the media, they just kind of make these things happen occasionally to players, and we just have to hope that the players are both mentally tough enough and coached well enough to be able to drown that out and that the coach can recognize when this has happened and stop it, Yeah, you know? And uh, and I, I think Ancelotti can do it, and I think he he has been doing it all season. But I just I think you're right. I think he's just getting into his head finally that the media that they have they've 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 pushed this narrative to the point that that actually it is affecting him now, uh, and the fans are not helping at all, uh, you know, with the, with this stuff. But uh, I don't know about the um, I don't know about whether first of all I'm not sure that whether Bale's 
biggest strength I just want to take a little bit of issue with the premise of this question. I'm not sure the biggest strength of Bale is the goals that he scores. I think that more it's the destructive influence that he acts as on the pitch and that the fact that when he runs, the fact that when he he makes these powerful runs and the fact that he can do that forces teams to worry about defending him in a way that prevents them from putting all of their players onto defending Cristiano like we saw at the end of the Schalke match. Uh, and uh, I think that that's a huge issue. Like that's one of the most important things that he does. That he he when you know he has these moments of just pure power and brilliance, and that that actually is is the is what he more than anything else brings to this team. Like yeah, of course he scores, and like he scores because he's unbelievably good. But he what he what what really happens is like Cristiano scores. Like that's what Cristiano brings goals and assists. Bale brings sure he brings goals and assists, but he also brings. You know, and maybe even more so brings this power to the midfield and, and to the into the pitch that makes people think about that. Anyway, so um, I uh, I actually think this is a really interesting question. We'll see more about it probably as we move later in the season with if we continue with this pushing him back a little bit to help in defense, which yeah. I've I've liked. You know, I, I think that overall it's, it was a good tactical decision, but I just wish it had been made earlier against Atleti. <laughs> uh, so we have another question. Uh, well, we have two. We have we have various questions today. I think the other one that I wanted to get to was um, there's one here about Cristiano. Um, so Kevin at Cloudburst two seven five four asks us: Is Cristiano's knee really bothering him again, or is this just media hysteria? Uh, Lucas, what do you think? Like I, I'm, I got to tell you, I don't think that he's as. I don't think there's no way. There's no way he's as injured as some people have said, but. Um, uh, it, it's hard. It's hard for us to know. I mean, there are so many secrets around here that. I mean, reports saying that he's bothered by the in, by the knee, and you know, Real Madrid saying that he's not. In the meantime, you you also see him not running as much and not being as powerful. So it's hard to, you know, to position ourselves in this one. I honestly think that he that he should have rested a, a, a little bit more this season. I mean, I think he should not have gone to the World Cup. I think that was really irresponsible. And, yeah. I mean, it's so hard to ask a player who's the captain of their national team not to go. But he was badly injured in the World Cup, and it didn't... I mean, Portugal didn't make it through the group stages. Yeah. So the consequence was... <laughs> excuse me. That he uh, he ended up aggravating that he didn't get the time that he probably should have you know taken after the Champions League final to rest up. Uh, I mean, look, you can't tell a player, unfortunately, that they you know they can't go and play with their national team. But I, I think that ended up being a really bad idea, and potentially you know it could have long-lasting consequences for him. I hope not. But yeah, I I don't know. It's he's clearly not quite at his level but i don't know if that's because of various things like obviously he was coming back from a suspension that he needed because i did think he was injured but i think at this point he's probably recovered to to, i mean the way i've seen him play he wanted the ball all the time he was making a lot of runs he looked very very dangerous against shaka and he was trying to looking to score against depor i think there was a that that his current Maybe the what the run of form before the suspension for me is different from the run of form that he had after the suspension, where I think he was more. There's more of a mental issue. Well, he was he, just a little bit just off. Split up with his girlfriend uh, of quite a number of years, so I guess. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Shayek. So uh, there is the notion that he's he's kind of 
emotionally not in a good place, which, you know, if, if, if might be okay if other things are working in your favor, but like it, it might make it so that, you know, once things start to go badly, you don't know how to respond to that. You don't have the, that, uh, emotional strength to deal with. Right. Right. That's exactly, I think, I think that's part of it. I mean, it has to be part of it. He's a human being. He's like, just just, like the rest of us. You can't, you know, you're in love with someone. Then you, then that, so, you know, that goes away and that there's an end of a relationship. That's hard. That's not something you just you just fix, especially one that that says, you know, sure, I'm sure Ronaldo really was in love with this woman, and I, I don't know. I actually have no fucking idea what I'm talking about, guys. But I, no, you no, know, it's okay. It's this beautiful game. It's, it's, I, it's, you know, but if if he was, you know, it's impossible to to not have that affect your other parts of your life, right? right. So, and and it makes the the downs worse, and it makes the highs not as high, right? That's 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 the problem. So, uh, all right, Isco. Let's talk about Isco for a second because we gotta we gotta wrap this up because I got a class. Um, Daniel Hill, D Hill eighty, uh, D underscore Hill eighty. Sorry, dude. Um, Manager Madrid, but this is a question particularly for Lucas. Lucas is, uh, as he knows, is a big fan of Isco, as he as am I. But has he Isco, not Lucas, but has he Isco exceeded even your Lucas's expectations this year? No, I was a big fan of the player even before he came to Real Madrid, and I, I mean, it's quite easy to say this now, but I always expected him to be one of the top, one of the world's best players here, and. I mean, obviously, probably he has even succeeded my expectation in terms of of the timing. You know, I didn't expect him to to become this good this soon, and he's done it. And probably in that terms, he surprised me a bit. But I I always kind of knew that he was going to be this good. And yeah, I, I I honestly believe that last season that he already deserved a starting spot in the team. And yeah, he yeah. saved us in in the lighter stages of the Champions League. Right. And against Barcelona and the Copa, I thought it was incredible. Like he, he, I, you look, I, I totally agree with Lucas. I, if anything, the the question in my mind was never whether, but when. And and it seems so clear after what happened at Malaga. I watched it. We watched him at Malaga. He was incredible. And so he comes to Madrid, and so the question at that point is whether he's going to adapt. And then he clearly does. Uh, and Madrid is kind of rolling, and he then gets benched a little, you know, for for and you know, Di Maria. But then at the end of the year, he comes back and he's playing that well. I think there was a decision that said, "Well, why do we re- do we really need to keep you know some of these players when Isco is really going to be this good?" Right. You know? I think that there was a there was an there was a there was a conversation that was had about that, and I think at this point, and this you know kind of answers our second question. Uh, what where where do you use Isco cross Modric versus Hamas cross Modric? I think the question is not at this point whether Isco starts or sits. I think that obviously he starts. I think he starts clearly, and the question at that at that point is, you know, how do we mix in the rest of the midfield? I think that when Modric and Kroos are also healthy, they're pretty non indiscreet. Yeah, in, yeah, you yeah. Know, If Modric comes back well, yeah. Uh, so I think that the clear thing is whether we're playing a four. Four four two or four you know four three three and because Bale I think that at this point Hamas is my is my man out and uh, because yeah, of how good too. Isco has been 
And we don't, you know, we've seen great stuff from Hamas this season. No one's, no one's saying that that's not true. But, uh, man, like, I at this point, the way East Coast played, it, you can't be, he can't be the, the one that sacrificed. It has to be someone else. Yeah, no, that, I, it, I, it, I it, totally agree with that. I mean, he's been exceptional this season. He was exceptional last season. The question for me, I don't think, was ever one of expectations. It was more about of him. It was more about whether the club would give him a chance. And I think that what's happened is that, you know, for better or for worse, the injury, well, for worse for us, the, but for better for Isco, the, the injuries to the team have given him an opportunity and he has seized it with both hands, just like he has every other time he's been given an opportunity. And, yeah, I think he's undroppable. He's the, he's the heart of the team now. And so the question is then, because we don't know how Modric is going to come back, so maybe Hamas is going to be the guy that, that he... That, no, we don't know how. I mean, we have no like idea how Hamas will not going to come back till after right. Modric does. So. No, 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 of course, of course, of course. Hamas broke his foot, but uh, Modric has... Yeah, look, the, 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 the question here is where does Hamas fit into the lineup, not do we drop Isco? And I think the question is where does Hamas fit in is a much more interesting one. Backup striker, maybe. Uh, I honestly thought that... Mm, we were going to play him more in that position, and Ancelotti just tried him against uh, Sevilla in the Super Cup, I believe. And I honestly thought that Hamas was going to be was was going to be the first backup for the midfield and, or, or and the striking position, and kind of play a, bit, a little bit more of a, of, a, of a false nine in the, in Benzema's spot. But do you I, think that puts Hesse in kind of an awkward position? Though? Yeah, I mean we have. If if everyone's healthy, you obviously need to have one player not comfortable with this role here because Kese right. expects a little bit more. If you put Hamas on the bench, he's going to expect more. And then if you put Isco on the bench, he's not going to accept it, This considering how well he's playing. Yeah, it's, it's just true. I, I, I mean, look, as we said at the beginning of the season when this was always the question – which we've we've talked about this so many times, but we talked about it in the context of everyone being healthy. As we all said many times, this is a good problem to have, and it's a problem we don't have right now. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it's a problem we don't have. So I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, man. But but I would love to have that problem right now because that would mean that we have a healthy squad. No, yeah, for... it can also change a lot, you know, in terms of individual players' form and what right. the squad needs in the interim. So well, we'll see. No, for real, yeah. the, Hamas's injury, like, kind of helped Ancelotti making that decision because he wasn't going to have an easy decision when, when Modric was back about benching either Hamas or, or Isco here. So, I mean, in, yeah. that, in that sense, Ancelotti kind of got lucky. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, guys. Well, look, I think that we should wrap this up. We've been yep. going for about an hour, and I have to go to class. And this is perfect. Uh, good timing. I'm just glad that we didn't end the podcast with me waxing poetic about Christina, uh, or Cristiano, <laughs> Christina, Irina, Scheich, and Cristiano's love affair. Beautiful love. Beautiful. <laughs> that she was doing the movie with uh, with The Rock or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Right, that's probably why they broke up. Oh my god, man, that movie was so bad. It was just unwatchable. It's okay, though. It's alright. Uh, we'll stop. <laughs> Good show, guys. And uh, we'll, um, we have Elche this weekend, and uh, we'll have another show after that. So um, I'll see you. We'll talk soon, guys.
Yeah. 